0: Yeah! <laughs> there it is! When that robot voice comes in, you know it is time to begin! And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to L C. Especially if you're one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast of how you through a workout or a run, or perhaps you're in the car. Tootling through town, doing those errands that you got to get finished. Don't worry, we're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash DLC pod. They bring the show to you, their generosity, their support, their encouragement, financially means that we get to keep making these and oh boy are we grateful in return we give them some cool perks including ad-free versions of the show video versions of the show on demand and a whole gaggle of extra content bonus shows that's right you get your wednesday paid dlc program with Lana Bashinsky joining Christian Spicer and myself to talk about whatever happens to cross our minds. It's a wacky fun time. Uh, some of the folks like it more than this show, I tell you. It's crazy. Also, you get the DLC Book Club as a audio podcast. Only patrons get it that way. And this week, we had an amazing opportunity actually to speak with an author, Stephen Erickson. Amazing. So much fun. You got to get in on that Also, you get your Friday dose of feeling this. The feeling this Fridays are happening in full effect. Alex Solman and Christian Spicer are talking about the feelings behind video games. This week, they were talking about charging up. Get charged.
1: Charge it.
0: You got to be in on that. And to do so, you got to be a patron at patreon.com slash dlcpod. But this show, the main show, DLC, it's the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, the spell with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who is making a brief stop here on the podcast Between Vacations, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian to be fair,
2: uh, I missed very little shows.
0: You did an uh, well, amazing that was that job. About. Hugging, also. Hugging toilet bowls. Thank uh, you. <laughs> barricading yourself behind soundproof cushions. It was an thank amazing. Thank you. Thing to see. The, the, reason,
2: the main reason I'm glad I'm back here in my home office is um, now you have to talk crap to my face. Versus just two other people. I've never had a problem with that before. (laughs) Oh, I know. I just appreciate it when you say it to me and I don't have my kids hear it while they're in the car with me and I'm listening (laughs) to an episode. So I am happy to be here. Uh,
0: So happy to be back. I'm happy to have you back. I'm happy to have your wonderful background back. I'm happy to have your dulcet tones recorded in a a hearable way.
2: It's great. To be fair, this is still all pillows, by the oh, way.
0: Um, yeah. I just live in uh, it. You've, you've gotten used to it so much that you're doing a whole house conversion? Yeah, 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 yeah. Love yeah. it. Hey, we got a lot of show for you, ladies and gentlemen. There is a game that might be my favorite game of the year that has also been on my hard drive since 2020. It's a weird conundrum. We're going to get into all of it. And we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, I'm so excited because once again, DLC stands for Dispensing Lessons in a Column. Because we have actor, writer, remote dog trainer, and communications coach, the Joy Conjurer at Gamers with Jobs. Our friend, Richard Lovejoy, is back with us. Hello, Rich. How are you?
1: I am very excited to be here. You guys actually gave me an opportunity to actually make my saving throw versus stop playing Baldur's Gate 3 long enough to do something else, and I appreciate that because it let me stand up, and I found out that my legs don't work after (laughs) however many days I've just been sitting, but, you know, happy to be here, thrilled to be joining you guys once again.
0: It's hard uh, to, to really uh, convince my family that there is more to life than the Baldur's Gate, convince my family that I still believe there is more to life than the Baldur's Gate three. It has consumed me. We will, (laughs) we will be talking about it in depth and I can't wait to get into it with you. I know that you have just completed a retrospective on Baldur's Gate one and two at gamers with jobs. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I have a 25-minute kind of lore recap uh, podcast that went up. It's in the Gamers with Jobs conference call feed for people who don't remember playing the original games or who are kind of new to Forgotten Realms to begin with. You can pick this up. It's very digestible, 25 minutes. It's meant to give you enough substance so that you can be armed with... Recognition of characters, factions, and the story so far, but not to just overwhelm with lore, lore, lore. You won't explode from lore. You'll get just enough.
0: That is uh, very useful because I am putting the forgotten back in Forgotten Realms.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while.
0: It's been a minute since I played those early Baldur's Gate games. but uh, it's awesome! It's awesome to do that. So you you come very well equipped to discuss uh, the biggest game release of the of the week. But we got lots to get to, including some interesting news stories. So let's start the show the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also send comments or questions or anything you'd like us to know. We love hearing from you at the, the old email address, which is dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Other ways to get a hold of us and talk uh, amongst yourselves in the community, we've got a subreddit at 5by5dlc.reddit.com, and we also have a Discord that's popping off. Good fun, great folks. Check out the Discord, which is also 5 by 5 dlc. On the Discord, a really fun community you should take part in. Uh, But Rich, you are our guest. So you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week?
1: So this story, I think, is more important not because of it itself, which is a relatively minor thing, but just in terms of what it is indicating about the future that we are careening helplessly towards. Uh, And that is a recently, I think it was actually today, uh, AI art was found to be part of the new Dungeons and Dragons book that's coming out. I think uh, Big B presents Glory to Giants, one of the artists who was commissioned used AI in their art. Uh, It was discovered by uh, Wizards of the Coast, and they, uh, they have released a statement saying that they don't want to have AI art in their in their uh products but you know this is a thing that's going to start happening more and more is that we're going to be dealing with in the game space what does it mean and where does the copyright issue sit with that with with artists and how to what extent is ai a tool that can help artists more express and to what extent is it just kind of something that's actually harmful to artists and, and diminishing of the, the work as well as robbing the intentionality behind a thing. You know, I think, yeah, like... I think
0: this is a fascinating story in that it, it sits in a place that I think is, is novel as far as the stuff we've talked about before. It, it, it doesn't, it's interesting to me that this is not a publisher using AI in lieu of an artist, which is right. uh, admittedly uh, a, Significant worry, uh, something that writers and actors right now are on strike about is this notion of uh, myself
1: included, actually. and myself
0: included, and Christian as well, I believe, uh, that uh, this notion that th- these tools may circumvent the artist and uh, loop them out of the process, loop them out of the financial gain, and kind of strip away the need for artists. Now, in this case, this is an artist hired by Watsi, Wizards of the Coast, to create art. And this artist, uh, evidently, it's uh, Ilya Schippen. Schippen, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, decided to use this as another tool in their tool belts to create the art they were commissioned to create. And evidently, uh, th- this was only one tool in a variety of methods that were employed to create the image. It wasn't simply typing a prompt and then delivering in whatever came from that prompt as the artwork. It was a a, refi- a tool of refinement. And I think that is fascinating. And I'm curious, Rich, if that changes your idea about where this particular story sits in the spectrum of AI art in your mind.
1: So for me, there's a couple of things going on with that. And one of them. So I'm coming at it a little bit, I realize from the perspective of a writer, and I know that in my I have a, a day job where I, I write things. And if I were to use AI, one of the things that happens is it immediately dings plagiarism, right? Um, Even if I try to use AI, if I were to try to use AI to help write an article, even it would pop up with the as plagiarism with any of the tools that are used to detect that. And there's a certain degree that there's a certain degree that I wonder if this is the same thing in the visual world as well. Like it's obviously pulling from sources that are not the artist and the creator in question and that means that somebody else's work is being used and this person this particular artist is profiting from that because they're presumably getting paid by wizards of the coast um i have no particular love for wizards of the coast in fact i i they very recently a couple months ago sent pinkerton's to somebody's house which is a wild story that I, i i'm sure you guys Heard about a Magic the Gather play Magic the Gathering player got an, uh, cards in advance of when they were supposed to be released, and and entirely because of Wizards of the Coast made a mistake and sent sent it to them, and then they sent Pinkertons here in 2023 <laughs> to this person's house. So I I don't think Wizards of the Coast is a necessarily benevolent corporation here, and I, I I'm relieved that they're not just hey we're just you know embracing AI and we're just gonna make all the art AI now or a larger percentage of it. And they're actually putting stop gaps in here. But yeah, I, you know, I, I think I can hear, I hear the argument that some people make that you can use it as a tool, but I, I just don't know that the AI itself is there yet in a way that's not destructive. And I don't think that we have created a framework or l- kind of legal approach that, compensates fairly the people whose work is being drawn from by the AI in order to make it a tool that an artist can ethically use in good conscience.
0: Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because um, clearly you, you, your framing is correct. It The way the AI tools scrape other art in order to formulate an answer to your query uses other people's art as uh, you know in that process and provides you bits that come from it but i think it's hard to parse exactly what I mean, there's there are no tools that i'm aware of that show you any kind of map as to where it comes from specifically or how you would even know you know just the it's just a sort of abstract concept that we know that it uses other people's art but we don't know who's in particular per se um I mean, there are ways to ask it to select specific kinds of art, right? You can use an artist's specific name to pull from, et cetera, et cetera. But there are other ways where it is doing that. We just don't know exactly how. And even, you know, the designers of the AI don't know exactly how and what. So it's a tricky proposition because like, yes, fundamentally it's doing that. But to, to sort of, find the actual source of what the ai is using isn't a straightforward process which i don't know if that makes it better or worse i'm just it's just an interesting you know i think we're in such uncharted territory here with all of this um christian i'm curious what you make of this uh, i think we all agree that wizards in this case is kind of doing the right thing in the absence of clarity and saying hey we don't want AI-generated art in any form in our publications. And even though this is intended to release August 15th, and therefore a lot of these have probably been printed (laughs) already, uh, they are taking steps to remove this particular piece of art from the book. So I think we can all agree that that's probably the right course of action here. But I'm curious what you think, um, in the context that Rich is bringing it up, for moving forward, what you think the right way to handle it is
2: i wish i had any answer jeff Um, right i I think it is so uncharted and i think for better or worse it is where we are largely heading um and Mm -hmm. so i'm not i'm going to make an analogy here they're not exactly the same, I get that, dear listeners. I get it i I, I get what I'm saying about to say is not the exact same thing, but I think that there is a a through line between the two uh two points one, how much of an AI is it when you're using any of the other photo editing tools that are available on modern computers now, whether it's background removal? not even like blur or smudge or um, recoloring or magic lasso, some of that stuff. I mean, like the straight up, you do a little selection and you click remove and then the background goes away and it's like you're keyed out or like, oh, there's a telephone pole in the back. I'm going to, on my mobile device, I'm going to trace that telephone pole or on my desktop, trace it out, click a button, it's
0: gone. I, I, if I may interject just briefly, and is there a distinction between you doing that or typing remove the telephone pole into a prompt and having something else do that or add telephone pole like i so yes
2: it's like i they're they're not the same but again there's a spider web that they are connected in a way and we are so okay with that approach we don't sit there and say you know what no artist you need to go in there and zoom and cut out and then replicate that hand color it to make the grass go seamless or you know something like that we don't require that um and then also i would say at least 60% of the general um emails with uh, sports leagues my kids are in replying to school stuff are ai generated by me where google says is this the pl- prompt you want to reply with and i'm like that definitely is and i click tab and my email says sounds good see you at 11 and i click send you know like <laughs> i'm not writing and again again please not the same thing but also not not <laughs> the same can thing I, can
1: i key into to two things there that i think separate the two the, those those examples. on well, the first You're case You're gonna walk through
2: my spider web, aren't you, rich I'm gonna just walk, gonna walk, I'm gonna walk right through, through the spider
1: web and then I'm gonna be <laughs> having imaginary spiders on my body and one real one for the rest of the day, because that's always how it goes. Um so in the case of like using a tool to erase a background, uh, I don't think um I don't think that that's ripping off the, uh, the Danish artist who did that, those two blank canvases called take the money and run, uh, you know, like that's not, it's not actually borrowing from that particular work of art. It's really just Would it be
0: hilarious if it was though,
1: (laughs) they had to go to the internet and (laughs) find
0: (laughs) the only way the AI knows how to do it is just like, got to find a blank canvas somewhere and just take that. Yeah. So there's no,
1: there's no, uh, uh, it's not working off of something somebody else has created. And in the case of a predictive text type of thing for emails, you are not monetarily profiting from sending an email to, uh, like to another group of parents about a child sport event. Yeah. I mean, maybe you're emotionally profiting, but, uh, it's no, not I charge a- money for my
2: replies. I'm like, you want to know when my kid's going to be there? Give me a $5. Um, I, again, I, I don't disagree with you, rich. I also think that this is just such an unknown uncharted area where AI, if it, if it, a computer looking at something, it feels weird to be that one may be arguably defending this stuff, but if a computer looks at a bunch (laughs) of a million sources and then makes its own amalgamation of all those million sources. And is like, here's 90 90s comic book art. And it's like kind of, uh todd mcfarland kind of jim lee kind of eric larson and it's like you can see and it kind of smushes this all together and gives you a oh,
0: rob Liefeld. Liefeld. <laughs> just spits out rob Liefeld. no hands no hands characters <laughs> only have no ankles, ankles.
2: Um, <laughs> and then so <sighs> you're you're left with something that is new but clearly borrowed all these other things versus a human sitting there and i have my you know, my serial killer board in front of me of all this 90s reference comic book art. And I look at it and I study it. And then I draw my own version of all those things. Again, not the same, but not, not the same. And I don't think it's a good thing, but I do think that if we're fortunate enough, Jeff, for this podcast to continue for another nine, 10 years, there will become a time very soon where this won't be a story.
1: It'll just be how yeah. it's done, and I don't right. know if that makes it okay. Well, then you guys won't even be doing the podcast. Somebody will have just voice <laughs> captured your voice, and you'll set it to talk to each other, and it'll just repeat and all, things. And the
0: money will keep flowing in. The money Never will on keep Easy flowing Street, in. Rich. <laughs> well,
1: well, wait. What'll what? happen no, is not, it'll not like it'll that? It'll do like an average, like a, a, a league average one. And then all those kind of middle of the road versions of you guys talking will just be photocopied themselves until it's a, like a Xerox of a Xerox and That's the whole why world.
0: in every episode, I like to throw, I, I like to say a non sequitur, just to mess with the future AI. So at some point I'll just say, Rutabaga. And then it's like, what? What is the AI going to make of that? You know, that's the video every versions. once in a while. It's going to need to just throw those bags in there.
2: I hold up today's newspaper on screen so you know. know, (laughs) That could be easily
1: photoshopped.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, I move it though. So you got to really track
1: it. You got to really. I do think that there are some places and some people who are doing some really interesting and necessary thinking about AI right now, as well as unpacking a couple of the real issues that are going on in terms of how it is used for scams uh there's a whole thing i learned about on uh, uh robert evans has a podcast behind the bastards that went into some of this and he was talking about an amazon scam where people are writing children's books using yeah. ai and running it through a, like they run yeah. they create a random thing and then they run it through a different ai which changes the word choices up enough so that it can dodge plagiarism and then they put it out on amazon on publish your own and it looks like a normal children's book and tired and exhausted parents click on it and it it, it, he unpacks that that particular scam really well and even grosser
0: than that even grosser than that instead instead of people doing that people are selling the way to do that 100 percent, yeah to other people that's part totally that's even part grosser. of grosser it. it's like anyway go
1: ahead yeah no I mean, it's it's uh it's just uh like up and down yeah. really disgusting and i would also point people to citations needed not to like be on a podcast that's I, I, a person on a podcast. I'm on a different podcast, telling your audience to go look at two other podcasts that are <laughs> not my podcast, but That's they're really right. interesting on this on this topic. Citations needed has an AI episode uh, that really digs into it from kind of that bi- the 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 business perspective and like where it it fits into what uh, these tech companies want it to be versus what it currently is. And actually has some steps for like, how do you think about it and ready yourself for this as a society, um, which is I think those are worth checking out for people who are interested in this story and want to dig deeper with some smart people who know what they what they're talking about probably a lot more than i do
0: <laughs> yeah no i i appreciate that and i i'm i'm anxious to hear that here here in the shallow end
1: <laughs> i will I'll
0: continue to uh play a little devil's advocate just to just to sort of put a button on this story not you know or not a button but a, a new angle that we can continue to discuss no no let, discuss. let's
1: solve it once and for all yeah long. no
0: definitely we'll
1: we'll figure it out we we
0: thought about this for 15 minutes um <laughs> i I I am inclined to 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 agree with you Christian that the sort of inevitable uh adoption of this is going to make a lot of this moot much quicker than we I think we any of us are comfortable with and but I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. I think it's it that's why you have to really think about it now and that's why you want to get sort of ideas and public perception in place so that as this is adopted, we sort of can process it correctly. Um, But having said that, you know, I am, I am conflicted about a lot of this because I don't know the details of how this particular artist used the AI to uh, create this image, but I can imagine a scenario in which an artist does, a significant percentage of actual artistic work uses an ai to supplement some of that work in some way creates an amalgamation of something goes back in by hand and and adds or removes things and any one any one individual artist whose work was used by the ai would be would be able to look at the finished product and not see any trace of their own original work in it, you know, not, not be able to identify, oh, that's my kneecap that I drew, whatever. (laughs) Like I could imagine a scenario where all of those things are true. And I kind of feel like, well, am I still upset about it in that case? You know what I mean? Not to try to, not to try to minimize the actual, uh, you know, potential harm of all of this and the danger that artistic types like myself Are actually in right now, which is significant. That is a significant danger we are all in. Like we are about to be uh, marginalized in a way that is, I think, is unprecedented. But I am also conflicted because I think the situation that I just uh, outlined is plausible, and I don't think I'm quite as upset with that. Like I don't think the toolification of this technology. Is always wrong or always bad, but maybe I uh, maybe I'm the one that's wrong, Rich.
1: I mean, I I kind of I, I think my weird old man thing that's going to be happening to me when I'm an old man is I will be writing my own emails and people will be like, why Why are you doing that, Grandpa? Like, settle down. <laughs> you don't You don't need to do that, right? But I I do think of, there is some degree of hope here because I feel like when it comes to creative pursuit and the actual act of creating art people aren't interested in watching movies that are entirely generated by ai and have no person behind them really at all like people want until they are uh, like I, people
0: I... aren't until until they're good enough that they
1: are right but that's the thing i just don't I don't think with what we have we're in any danger of these things actually becoming good enough to be substantial works of art because art requires intentionality which is not something a language based model can do right See, like, like I, I I I agree
0: with you but I'm not I'm not worried about the AI getting good enough to be art as much as I'm worried about the people being satisfied enough with crap, which I think is much more likely to happen and has already happened and always has happened throughout time. Like there's schlocky bad hacks who've made a very good living aping other people's stuff since, you know, the dawn of art. And and I think there will be a significant portion of the consumer base that will be like that's good that's good enough that's good enough and there will be other people that will seek out art and there will be even members of that first consumer base that will be impressed by the great art that human beings still get to do but i think there's going to be this big chunk of mass media entertainment that will just be good enough for a lot of people and it won't involve humans making it at all that's bleak, but I think that's Or what I think.
2: Or it won't even necessarily be good enough, but it's all there is. And I think my analogy for that is a lot of reality TV. I think yeah. when push comes to shove, a lot of that isn't good, but it's cheap and it's on and it's the marketing machine ramps up behind it and it becomes its own thing. Uh, you know, again, not not the same thing, but not not the same thing.
0: <laughs> I mean, like to use your example of the Amazon children's book, like what I would love to know is how many people that have been duped by that scam noticed. Because I got to tell you, as a father of young children, there are some real bad children's books that were made by (laughs) human beings that that are ubiquitous, that a lot of people read, that a lot of people buy for you. And you're like, why am I reading this to my kid? This is terrible.
1: I mean, you know, what does that do to my immediate question to that is what does that do to a child to to grow? No, seriously, to to grow. No, up right. My kids the... are idiots. <laughs> <I'm just gonna> <laughs> <say>. <laughs> no, but to to, you know, I I think children have a remarkable ability to to sponge what's around them. They're they're constantly learning from things. And if we're getting this sort of work that is filtered through you know, filtered through this nonsense and it's ultimately without meaning. I, children can feel that in some way. Like I, I give kids credit to it. I, I, I'll give kids some credit and I'm sure even if they think it's, even if it becomes normalized for them, there's, it's going to be some, it's going to be some way that it is going to affect them that, that we're going to have to deal with. And, and I don't know that we've thought about it. I don't know that we have. I don't know that we're prepared for what that's going to be like and what that could do to people. And to the way that people interact with art in the future. But it's certainly worth thinking about if we, you know, presuming we survive to make it bleaker presuming we survive climate change long enough to be able to tackle these questions we should probably be tackling them is sort of yeah i mean not to yeah
0: not to not to get real bummer but you're right yeah it's (laughs)
1: like we're worried
0: about the art what where will the art be as we clamor for our next breath in the hideous toxic air yeah (laughs) anyway on that note, <laughs> I do think it's a fascinating story, and I think I think uh, Wizards of the Coast in this case is is handling this in the right way, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, as this goes forward. Not not this particular story, but as these type of things happen uh, with more frequency, if other companies will handle it the same way, or if this will sort of slowly slide slippery slope style into being uh, less of a alarm for folks. All right, on to a new topic, but first we need to talk about our sponsor. And this episode of DLC is sponsored by Better Help. Christian life is hard. Life, life is hard, man. Um, I, you know, it, you you got you get those to, to those moments in life where you just need some help. You know, you know what I'm talking about. My wife right now she's uh she's going through a uh career crossroads she's quitting her job and starting a new thing i have gone through so many moments in the last few years where i feel like i don't know what to do next i'm sure you felt like that life is hard
2: there's nothing like coming back from vacation and settling back into the regular life again and going I know exactly what I'm doing. (laughs) I need zero help. I've got everything. Nope. Perfect. Ready to go. No uncertainty. No problems. No one talking to someone would never help me right now. Yeah, no, I know nothing what you talk about, Jeff.
0: (laughs) Well, whether you are dealing with decisions around your career with relationship uh, issues or, or anything else, therapy can help you stay connected to what you really want while you navigate life so that you can move forward with confidence and excitement. Trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values is like anything else. The more you practice it, the easier it gets. I can tell you I've benefited from therapy before. My wife, my family members have benefited from therapy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash DLC today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash D-L-C. Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week?
2: I mean, almost as heavy of a topic, to be honest. Um, Starfield's <laughs> almost out. And then after that, Elder Scrolls 6 is 10, 20, 15, 30 years away, unless they use AI to make the game for us. And so what are we gonna do? Because we've already all beat Diablo 4. We've all already <laughs> beat Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but Boulders Gate three, two hundred hours of voiced cinematics that's called one day, bro. Get good, yeah. <laughs> um, so when Starfield comes out, I'm gonna be done with it as well uh within two days, and i I need the need to know what's next, like you guys keep feeding me.
0: Christian's a Christian's, uh, little music drop that he always put plays in the show. Too few games. <laughs>
2: not enough games. <laughs> I have too many hours to game is uh,
1: <laughs> the story of my life. It's just that like, oh, my God. That is a common complaint that I hear parents talk yeah. to me about. just how much the overwhelming volume of time you have to game. That's yes, uh, not Every non-stop. year for Christmas, I wish just for an 18-hour
2: day. And it's like, no, you get a full 24. And I'm like, oh, gosh, what am I going to do with this free time? I guess I'll beat another massive RPG. Um, Well, my prayers have been answered. (laughs) (laughs) If rumors are to believe, uh, we might be getting an Elder Scrolls 4 Oblivion remake, which when I first started reading these rumors, and again, still just rumors. When I first started reading these rumors, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I, I think that's right. We've got so many other remakes of fantastic games. Dead Space, Resident Evil 4, just this year. Last of Us Part 1 last year. Um, uh, countless, countless, countless great remakes. And we haven't really seen the big remakeification of these older RPGs. There are some examples of Coats of Paint um and like an hd something and modders of course have been you know going to town with these games for a while now but oblivion is such a good game (laughs) and it's a game that a lot of people haven't experienced and as i was joking um it is a killer stopgap between starfield and elder scrolls six and gives people that big fantasy rpg game that let's be honest most people weren't out. I mean, weren't alive when it came out that might be playing it now. Uh, I did a full 180 on this when I first heard it. I was like, that's ridiculous. And now I'm like, yeah, and it's probably coming soon.
0: But Christian, I thought that Microsoft purchased an entire other company to be the Scott stop stopgap. Uh, it's called Obsidian.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, you know, they're also stopping gaps. But every yeah. studio needs to be cranking out hits. Like, uh, it, it can't be... 10 years between what what did the sony leak or the uh activision ftc case it was it the average game release is six years now something like that like from inception yeah. to completion well I that was what baldur's gate, a lot of these
0: baldur's gate 3 took six years uh and evidently uh larian is like well, our next one's going to be shorter we're doing a shorter
2: thing <laughs> they, they've
0: earned it <laughs> yeah
2: famous last famous last words um <laughs> i
0: love I, I am excited about this oblivion so this is xbox 360 era I played this on my Xbox 360 exclusively. I did not play it on PC. And I had exactly two games because this is who I am. I'm not, I'm not the guy who's chasing achievements. But I had exactly two games in the Xbox 360 era that I had the 1,000 gamer score, which back in that era, that's the biggest gamer score you could have on an, any individual game. You had 1,000 a, a gamer points per title strict. So there were two, two games that I earned every single achievement on. One of them was Oblivion and the other was Civilization Revolution. Those are the only two games in that entire generation that I got, I don't really care about achievements, but I played those games so much that it just happened. I wasn't even <laughs> attempting it. It just played Oblivion so very much. They're and, just like, this uh, guy it...
2: has 800 hours in this. Should we just give it to him? He hasn't read the sign yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He hasn't I, read the sign post. I want to
1: get... <laughs> also point out that the the two games uh that you that you played, Civilization and Oblivion, are literally the two options that the previous story has left us
0: with. <laughs> we call that synergy around these parts. Synergy. <laughs> uh, very good point. Beautiful. Um yeah, yeah, the uh, the, last, uh, the last achievement on, on Oblivion is just a stop sign. It's, it's just like, please just stop, stop playing. Call your parents. Go, out, go outside, <laughs> do literally anything else. Um, but no, so I, I, I obviously very much love Oblivion and um, I would love to see it in a new uh, visual upgrade. This is uh, reportedly being done. So to kind of flush out the story, this was uh, leaked on a Reddit post from a, a user uh, known as Suicidal Tendency, uh, who has, uh, the post has been taken down and the user has been deleted. So, Internet
2: always forgets, too. That is a yeah. surefire so way guess, to make things go away every yeah. time.
0: <laughs> that, that's how you know it's not true, is that the uh, <laughs> that <was> swiftly <laughs> took it down. Uh, the, um, but this was uh, evidently, reportedly, in... In the works uh, from Virtuous Games, uh, these are the same people that remade Metal Gear star 3 Snake Eater. Uh, uh, or, yeah, yeah, this is the, the remake of Snake Eater that's coming. Um, so I would love to see, I mean, we don't even know what that game looks like, really, because we've only seen that little teaser. But um, I would love an Oblivion that looks modern, that has um, faster load times and, uh, you know, even even modern Bethesda Studios games uh, haven't looked great. Uh, they're always, that engine is aged not great. It, you have awesome mods for Skyrim that can make it look beautiful. And Starfield certainly looks beautiful. But I would love to see a beautiful Oblivion What's the song? Beautiful Oblivion, <laughs> <laughs> Rendezvous. Now I'm through with you. Okay. Oh man, Rich... I am
1: reeling back. <laughs> You're taking me back. <laughs> Rich has left the show, ladies
0: and gentlemen. I <laughs> chased away our guest uh, with my song. Anyway, what do you what do you make of this?
1: So, uh, as somebody who my my Elder Scrolls ing, when I played Elder Scrolls Arena, I loved it. I played Elder Scrolls Daggerfall, I loved it. I missed. Uh, Oblivion and Morrowind which are apparently two not to miss because they're both very different statements about what that series could be and I enjoyed Skyrim quite a bit so I'd be excited to poke back into Oblivion and, and kind of see it for the first time even though I was around when it was originally around it just got by me because of whatever life nonsense was occurring to however old I was back then which we'll not think about right now Uh, because we've already had enough gloomy thoughts, so we (laughs) we shouldn't, shouldn't dwell too much on that. But I, I, I think those, uh, those Bethesda games have always been a ton of fun. I hope that they have new jank if they're going to remake the, the game. I want it to like, just as like something fun for the people who played it originally is, is to have it broken in a fun new way in the remake, (laughs)
0: made the problems.
1: Yeah, the, the the chickens are no longer hats. Now they're slippers of giants.
0: <laughs> I love it. Uh, that's funny. Uh, so uh, yeah, it sounds like Christian. This this could happen uh, as early as uh, the end of next year, end of 2024, or early 2025, which still puts it at like you know three or four years before we ever even hear of the first delay for Elder Scrolls Six.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it, it is i think it'll be a lot of people's you know has the potential to be a lot of people's first um elder scrolls and except for elder scrolls online which is still trucking along but again i i think i don't want to say it's a vacuum that we live in but as we age and continue to play as we have all grown up with games and you don't age out of them we keep playing them so we have this collective memory of of these older games ag- again six years between current modern Zeldas that's high school and half a college for people. I'm trying to think back. I mean, that's a lifetime and this is the Xbox 360 era game. And I think if it's able to not only have faster load times, but be a true dark souls style, you know, remake a shadow of the Colossus style um, remake resident evil four of, of this game, better animations, you know, all the things that could be possible for what is a, foundational level great game i think it could be i think it could be huge do i love seeing new ips and new adventures yes but a lot of people have never played this game and they won't <laughs> they won't play it as it exists right now right so yeah. it makes a lot of sense
0: yeah uh, i i anticipate this is actually uh accurate and i'm i'm looking forward to seeing a reveal uh, but we may not see that for a while Uh, All right, Um, we don't have tons of time for uh, more stories of the week because we got to get to some juicy games to talk about. But I thought it was interesting to note this week that Konami released a statement that the Metal Gear Solid franchise, the entire series, the 36-year-old franchise, has hit a pretty big milestone, and that is 60 million copies sold, which sounds impressive until you realize that Mario Kart 8, just 8, has sold 55 million copies. So every Metal Gear Solid game, and there have been a lot in that series combined, has sold a little bit more than one Mario Kart. Uh, that's amazing to me. Anyway, but 60 million copies for Metal Gear Solid, or excuse me, Metal Gear, Metal Gear series, uh, starting the 1987. Uh, NES version all the way through year the, the interesting thing about this is that a uh, PC gamer noted that the uh that as of June of this year the number was a 59.3 million so to get to get to uh oh sorry no the no, September 2022 September 2022 so you know not quite a year ago it was uh, 59.3 million there hasn't been a real metal gear release uh in that Time and sin, since then until June, when it now hit sixty million, so seven hundred thousand copies of some Metal Gears had to have been sold uh in a year in the last year, even though new, no new Metal Gears came out. That's a big number
1: to sell. Well, of, of you Metal probably Gears. missed the part where uh, Solid Snake appeared in Mario Kart in a cardboard box vehicle, that, and that <laughs> I think that renewed count? some some interest. In They're that. counting it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: That's... Uh anyway, Christian, I know you're the big Metal Gear fan. Uh 60 million, not too shabby. You
2: yeah, know, I bought 700,000 copies between <laughs> September of last year and today, so I'm a pretty big fan. <laughs> it, it is one of those things of putting the numbers in perspectives. I remember when a game sold a million and it got a big shiny gold sticker on it and it yeah. was, you know, we sold a, a million copies. And then of course there's Mario Kart 8 and then there's everything else, kind of putting these these things to shame. I that this press release to me it screams more to the idea of don't forget we own this IP. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Konami announces we still own this IP and are making another version of it. We want you to please clap, you know, please stay excited for this game. Meanwhile, Kojima is out there redefining Strand with Death Stranding 2, which he had just defined Strand Gaming in Death Stranding 1. And like, I feel like Kojima has this constant. Press hype machine behind everything that he announces and does. And I think for good reason.
0: His name this, is to me- Jeff Keeley. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the Game Lords. Um, I, I think that this is Konami kind of trying to step back into the gaming space and reminding people that they've made popular games and, and they're getting back into it after years kind of away. But good. I, I'm excited. I've liked them all, except for the first one they released without Kojima <laughs> attached to it. Yeah. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, kudos. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about some games that we have been playing in a segment we call The Playlist. Ooh, what you're this? week) Baldur's Gate three it is absolutely crushing uh, on Steam's concurrent players list over seven hundred thousand concurrent players uh, at that's its How many peak. Metal Gears have been sold? that's yeah funny. coincidence <laughs> I think not um, <clears throat> this is a game uh, I think the concurrence uh, benefit that number certainly benefits from the fact that, like I said, I've had this game. On my hard drive for three years, and a lot of people being in early access and, and having this business model, I think has accumulated a lot more players than would have if this game just came out this week. Which it ha- which it has, but um, you know, having that game sort of uh, have a bit of a snowball effect down the road, and it, it made a big splash this week, uh, and it is everything that you can imagine. It is, it is a big, massive, dense dungeons and dragons experience um i have been playing a ton of it rich you have been playing a ton of it tell me what you think of baldur's gate
1: 3 well first just to speak to the level of concurrent players i think there's a few things going on one is the release of the bear focused marketing uh (laughs) i think was a brilliant brilliant tactic to get people interested in this, like how weird Dungeons and Dragons can be. <laughs> um, and certainly like get the internet uh, hyped up for everybody who, everybody wants to be locked in the horny jail with the bear. Uh, and I, I think that that is something we, we cannot, cannot deny is happening. The other thing though, that's really important is this is not a kind of game that is frequently made anymore. And I think there's a real hunger among gamers for something that is a single player, bespoke experience that doesn't have any transactions. That is all just about really lovingly telling a story like this and having these kind of unique RPG mechanics. And I'm not somebody who would have gone into Baldur's Gate three, you know, I to to. To be honest, like where I am in my life, I'm sort of ready for other tabletop RPGs. I I think that there's in a lot of ways Forgotten Realms is something that is the the thing we look to as the standard in high fantasy mythologies and lore. It's very you know, it's not a uh there's nothing flashy to it, right? It's not it's the template through which things are baked off of even yeah. Larian's previous games divinity original sin those games are all very much inspired by the dnd type of ideas around elves and dwarves and it's all very much there um and the 5e rule system is the 5e rule system is not one that i, I necessarily love at the table i have my my own issues with it both mechanically and just in the way that dnd still handles some of, some of the the topics within it but all that said the moment that I booted up Baldur's Gate 3, I was immediately entranced. It's so good. It's so good at just being something that feels like it is made for you, the player who is there. Just the the, the dizzying array of options in the, the amount of little avenues you can go down in the character creator. It, it's just truly special. And then when that stuff plays out, when you get into the game itself, the writing is easily Larian's best writing. The acting is just some phenomenal scenery chewing. Like all of the voice actors are crushing it in Baldur's Gate 3. And the characters that they're playing are all fascinating and really not what I was expecting from an RPG, right? Like there's there's traditionally, you know, you have the, I think a lot of, especially like a D&D game, it's like. Oh, people are good or people are evil. They have this alignment system. And what Larian has done is they've given you like a team of people thrown together and everybody is just messy and complicated and nuanced and has like stuff going on and the game world, even though it feels very bespoke for the, and created to you, the player The game world also feels like everybody's in the middle of a lot of different stuff and they're not necessarily there for you. It feels so immersive because I feel like there are factions and there are people who all have a limited amount of information that they're making sometimes good choices with, sometimes bad choices, sometimes good choices based on the information that they have, but bad choices overall. And then even in the way that the characters express what they want and what they're looking for versus what they actually like is fascinating. And it uses that to tell you information about your companions. Like I I will notice that there are companions who will say one thing, but then when a push comes to shove, they actually want you to be doing a different thing. Like the things that they approve of you doing are different than what they want to express, which is something people do all the time. And it just feels, uh, so good and immersive in a way that I don't think a game has felt in a long time. One of the things, one more thing, and then I should let uh, uh, you gush as well. uh, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, I, I made a very specific character when I, when I made the first character, I made a, just has kind of like a nod to Baldur's Gate two. There's this whole section in Baldur's Gate two where you go into the underdark and there is a silver dragon who basically enlists you to infiltrate, these Drow who have stolen her eggs. And so I made a Drow, a Drow, sorry, Silver Dragon Sorcerer. And I can't believe how much of the game for my character that I made is about the fact that I'm a Drow, Silver Dragon Sorcerer. Like it's so, the game is like, this is where you are and what you come from. And that matters in terms of how the people in the world interact with you and move through you that, that tells a lot about your story. And it also like fundamentally there's things I'm like, how does, if you're not this, how do you, what, what's the way that you solve, like get into like this problem or, or how do you even like sneak into this thing? Like if you're a a paladin who has to fight all the bad baddies, like how are you even dealing with this? This camp is like something that I'm wondering. Um, And actually I've said that I have one more unrelated thing to gush about in the game. Please. And that is the way that it can make you feel like a total genius and is not afraid to be broken. There was a room Mm -hmm. I walked into with a bunch of strategically laid out skeletons and I saw them and I immediately thought to myself, those guys are going to wake up and they're going to try to murder me. So I, out of an abundance of caution, snuck my rogue into the room, pickpocketed all of their weapons. And then when I walked into the room, I went like Pat was going past the room, found something in there as I was going to the chamber. Sure enough, they woke up, but they didn't have any weapons. So we with <laughs> them easily. Uh, there, was, there was another encounter where I have this big mini dungeon where I'm chasing this magic using enemy through their lair. It's really cool. Really neat puzzles, really neat traps, neat encounters. You get to the end of it. She has a prisoner in a wooden cage that she's set on fire and that cage is dangling over a chasm and she's at the opposite end of the chasm. And so I ran my barbarian companion up and just pushed her into the chasm. The fight was over in one (laughs) round. Like she just immediately died. It was incredible. 120 hit points. Just nope. Pushed her into the chasm. The game. And that's
0: that's what playing tabletop dungeons and dragons is like. Right? Yes. It's just the the person at the table who thinks of the thing and the DM goes, "I got to give it to you. That's amazing. You just completely undid all my plans and let's let's roll." Uh, and the fact that the game is able to provide that is extraordinary. Um <clears throat> I I mean beautifully said on a number of levels everything that you've outlined so far and I I mean <clears throat> It's, it's hard. I don't even know where to start with this game.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I will. I'll Ooh, start. Can I, can, I, can I suggest one place, perhaps? And maybe this is where you're going to go. I would love at some point, you don't know, need to start here, but I'd love at some point to get your three years ago early access yeah, play experience yeah, versus yeah.
0: 1.0-ing it. I will. I, I put about 20 hours into it in 2020 and then read the first, the literally the first time that Larian was like, we're going to wipe saves. I was like, well, last time I play this until it comes out. <laughs> um, I just can't handle the like wiped save thing. Um, so I hadn't, I hadn't touched it in quite a while. Um, and there are a lot of massive improvements. I mean, obviously the full game is there, not just the first act, but massive improvements across the board. Um, so many more options, but just like the quality of life improvements. I mean, the, the way the game conveys information to you and all of the useful ways that you can just like do things with your team. T- I mean, part of the thing about this game is that well first thing i want to say is i am creepily enough i am playing my main character right now is a uh silver dragonborn sorcerer
1: so that's a weird bit of a weird coincidence yeah (laughs) um anyway um twin spelled that's what we did there (laughs) we did yes we did
0: we twin spelled um but i i'm immediately like Wishing that I could re-roll a different class. to uh, The problem is, this game is so big and so vast that, and there's no easy way to switch your rolled character uh, when you're into it. I'm like, I don't want to go back and play the first twenty hours of this again uh, with a different character. I, it, it's a bit of a bummer, but and, and also it sucks that you can only have four people in your party, four additional characters in your party because like, everybody's interesting. And I don't, I feel like I'm missing out on some of the interesting by putting people on the bench. And that's a bit of a bummer, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So this is, it is extraordinary as somebody that has played a lot of fifth edition, uh, you know, in front of people. um, It is extraordinary how they've managed to make this rule set work so well as a video game. Because, frankly, it's not intended to be a video game. It is not intended to do what video games do. It is intended to do what tabletop games do. And video games have a very hard time doing what tabletop games do. And this video game somehow manages to give you that experience, which is really amazing. I think this is is like the best advertisement for fifth edition that wizards could possibly hope for. And if anybody is curious about what it's like to play fifth edition and is so bewildered by the rules, I don't think they're overwhelming. It's literally a single page PDF or two pages, maybe that gives you everything you need to get started. But the minutia of the deal, the of the uh, rules, the details of the rules are very much on display in this game to a large extent and just leveling up your class in this game will teach you so much about how the classes play and what you'll be doing if you're playing in a single player game is leveling four or five different D&D classes at the same time which it, nobody does on the on the tabletop side really <laughs> yeah. you know unless you're playing in multiple campaigns but it is a huge learning experience about how these classes work and relate to each other and how their strengths and weaknesses are different. It's just an extraordinary experience that is so, it's like drinking from the fire hose of tabletop <laughs> rule sets. So that's one thing I, I noticed. But back to the point about what video games do well and what, um, what uh, tabletop things do well. We talked a lot when Final Fantasy 16 came out about how it appeared to me that uh, the decision to make Final Fantasy 16 the way it is came from a desire to make it a game that was more mass market appeal and more potentially uh, lucrative for the company. Like, let's make, we want to make something that sells 30 million copies. Let's make a action game that is, uh, that, that people can sink their teeth into. And here comes and at that time I got into uh, arguments with people on social media about like you know that you turn-based games can be that and people are like well they aren't and I said well wait till Baldur's Gate 3 comes out because I really do think this is the antithesis of that it is slow it is methodical it is detail oriented it doesn't give you action Every fifteen seconds, it and, and that action that it does give you is plodding and 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 uh, um, tactile, uh, um strategic. I love it for all that, <laughs> but it's interesting to see that it is being embraced by such a large market right now. Because I th- do think people are open to this, and certainly the popularity of D and D over the last few years has been a part of that but like you pointed out rich so beautifully i think it is i as i was leveling my characters and picking spells and things it has all the spells that are in d and so many of them are there specifically to engender role-playing not yeah. to help you win a fight but to help you deal with some other kind of problem that video games just don't do well, you know? And I kept thinking, like, when am I going to need disguise self? What, what am I Like, I will definitely take that for a tabletop session because I want to tell my DM <laughs> that now I look like the elf that is in charge of those guards, you know, and see what happens. But video games don't let me do stuff like that, you know? How why would I need detect thoughts? Like, how is a video game gonna let me read the thoughts of an NPC? That's something that a human being is gonna have to spin up in real time and improvise their way out of because I want to know the thoughts of the bad guy that I'm trying to attack. How would these spells even apply? Why are they even in the game? And then,
1: (laughs) yeah, they're I got to these situations where I'm like. I need
0: to disguise self. This is amazing. I uh, Very early in the game, there is an opportunity to break a certain character out of a prison cell. And there I is... I for n- sure you were going to say the kids are asking you for lunch and you were like,
2: I found it! The perfect opera... <laughs> Click.
0: <laughs> no, th- there, there is, there is a, uh, an opportunity to break somebody out of a, a jail cell. You don't have to, but you can. And... Most video games would, if they offer up that path through this problem, they will also offer up a path that escapes you from this the, the jail cell area that is the perfect stealth path So you can, like, stealth your way out with this prisoner that the people don't want out. Aldersgate well, 3, not so much. But it ha- gave you all these other tools to use If you took the invisibility spell or if you took, you know, if you took disguise person or, uh, you know, there are all these other ways to deal with that problem that are so much like the tabletop experience. Part of the thing that I have run into so many times DMing friends in the tabletop arena who started gaming with video games and are new to tabletop gaming Is they approach the experience of tabletop gaming like they're dealing with a video game, i.e. they want to know what is expected of them. Because video games are very good at communicating to you what you need to do. So there are certain colors of doors that can be opened and other colors of doors that can't. Or... Context clues, environmental things, or the way quests are structured, or how enemies attack you. The video game tells you how it wants you to interact with it. And it's about you deciphering, what does the game want from me? But in tabletop, the entire point is you have a human being ready to adapt to you. So there aren't, the game isn't asking you anything of it. It is offering you a canvas upon which to express yourself and it's very hard i have found with some people who are weaned on the video game experience to adapt to that and be like i I can do literally anything right now yes just tell me what you (laughs) want to do yeah
1: you just 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 tell
0: me what you would like to do anything yes anything you have a well what what of my actions should i do don't worry about your actions. Tell me what you want to happen and I will tell you how to accomplish it. But video games go, well, you have your X button, your Y button, your B button, your A button, and they all do something and that's what you can do, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so people are, are like, tell me what of the available things I can do, which one I do here. And it's like, well, that's not, anyway, that is a very labored description to say that somehow Larian seems to have gotten as close as I've ever seen to the tabletop experience in that it really does feel like your options are wide open as to how to approach certain
1: things. Go ahead. Yeah. They, this is, this is 1000% correct. And what's so special about this game. Um, And I think it pairs with this other thing that they're doing really right with Baldur's gate three. And that is, making failure fun when you fail things when you fail skill checks or or botch a plan in Baldur's Gate 3 and have to improvise it's some of the best gaming I've I've ever had and the game will frequently actually reward you for failure or for making a bad choice that temporarily messes you up uh with something cool later on Uh, Without getting too much into spoilers, I had a moment where I was trying to grab a key off of a table from a a extremely crowded uh, goblin encampment. And this was kind of off to the side of the encampment. And there's like a massive army nearby. I decided the way that I would do this, I would have somebody go and open up the nearby chest, like one of the party members, so that everybody would look at that person and be like, hey no funny business, and then I'd have my somebody invisible come in behind and yoink the key off the table. Um, well, the invisibility ran out just as the key yoinking happened and everybody <laughs> spotted me, and suddenly the the area where I was in, people were like, oh my God, there's people here trying to steal the thing, go warn everybody. And these three guys went to go warn everybody, and the rest of the people in the room came to attack me. And so I desperately, like, nuked the three guys with an area effect spell just instantly killed them and prevented anybody from leaving and had this crazy up and down battle with grease spells flying around and people slipping on the grease and nobody able to get in to call reinforcements and it ended with me just like (laughs) decimating the room like we were trying to be sneaky and do this the right way we're like well okay that worked too i guess (laughs) just just that like improvised chaos was so tremendous because i feel like in most video games if i failed the the stealth check to steal the key oh i'll just reload and try it again right right it's not going to let me survive this impossible situation but baldur's gate 3 does that it really it 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 wants to push back against some very codified gaming experiences and I, i i think That's a tall order for audiences. But when you look at the amount of people who are playing it on Steam right now, there's a real hunger for this. Like, we're interested in seeing new things that are less about squeezing all the money you can out of an IP through, you know, in game purchases or faster experience and leveling up purchases or any of that nonsense. Like, this is just clearly like we have lovingly created something that we want people to enjoy and it invites you in at every opportunity yeah to
0: that to, to that same point you know even just uh failing a persuasion check in the course of a conversation or failing to detect thoughts for example in the course of a conversation or any kind of failure it in most games, I would feel like, ah, oh, man, I, I missed out on something. I do want to reload a save and try that again. And here, it's so beautifully handled over and over and over again where one door closes and another opens. It, it, it constantly is reshaping how that... It's not that the game said, you need to succeed on this, and failing means you didn't do it correctly it it like a tabletop session failing means that's just how this story went this time you didn't do that but that means you get to do it in a different way or this the or this not doing that created a new story beat over here and to, to be able to do that at this level of scale because you know as somebody who's dm'd a lot part of the trick to that is you have an infinite variety of of options, but every time a player makes a choice, you don't you could just not have to worry about all those other options. But if you're making <laughs> yeah. a video game, you always have to worry about all the options. Uh because you know, I have an infinite player base. Um I do think the it's an amazing thing that they put in such variety in the character creation. Like it's bewildering at the beginning as to what to even pick. And they make it easy with, you know, you can pick the origin character and just have it right away. Uh, They even have a randomizer that's like, hey, we'll just give you a character. Um, But if you, you know, if you really dig into it, it is absolutely overwhelming. The number of options. And that's, you know, that's D&D, right? But, uh, you know, I I... I almost feel bad for folks that are just like, hey, I'll try this video game. It's like, what do I even pick here?
1: You know? I mean, well, I think it's for this is one of those ways that it is pushing back against what games normally do. And I think that there's uh, given that there are so many games that do the other thing. I'm really glad that this one. Does this thing like yes? It it is big and it can be overwhelming, but that's also a real opportunity. If you're somebody who's interested in this game but overwhelmed, go to your community, go to the DLC Discord, and talk to people about it there, or come over to Gamers with Jobs. We have a pretty robust conversation about Baldur's Gate three happening in our Discord. And people will happily like share their thoughts about you know if you you, how to how to how they're approaching it. Um, I think one of the things that Larian does quite beautifully is on the default difficulty level. I'm not worrying about optimizing all my characters. Like everything is fun and capable. I don't feel like I need to bring a healer with me. Even I mean, I ha I happen to because I I really like the the cleric character that is an NPC. But I, I think if you're new to this type of game, make a custom character because all the companions are great and you kind of want to hear their story and just go with whatever sounds cool to you, your first instinct. Just yeah, dive I agree. into your first instinct and see where it takes you and spend as much time as you want selecting your genitals because that's also something you can do in this game. What did you? Not to ask a personal question, Jeff, did, did you go with... Uh, penis b or were you more of a vulva c kind of person how did you roll? I'll i'll be honest
0: with you um i was so excited to jump into the game i i randomized my appearance and went which i never do but i happened to do it and it looked so cool that i didn't even take its pants off to check you know i didn't even <laughs> uh so you know i'm what does that say about me i'm i'm boring perhaps but uh, I jumped in no, with that. No, there's a lot of mystery
1: that. there, Jeff. I think that's the opposite of
0: boring. <laughs> <laughs> I like, you know, I like my Bordeaux photos to be leaving up something up to the imagination. Um, boudoir, not Bordeaux. Bordeaux is a wine. A boudoir. wine.
1: I was suddenly, I'm like, wow, I could go. For some me. Wine. <laughs> I meant to say boudoir. Anyway,
0: um, I do think this is going to be an incredible gateway drug to Fifth Edition tabletop players. It is an extraordinary primer to get you up to speed with how, I mean, just the action economy alone, it's amazing that they got it to work, you know, the, and it is in, ex, incredibly restrictive uh, as five, especially early on, where you, you know, you have one action, one, uh, you know, one bonus action and one movement. And that's basically it for a long time. And a lot of classes will let you butts with that as you move on. But um, I think, Learning that and understanding what is what, which what qualifies as an action, what qualifies as using up a spell slot uh, as opposed to using a cantrip for spellcasting classes, how all these classes, the the specific features uh, of a class, all of that stuff is just so it's so eloquently expressed and used. Um, I know it is a tried and true rule set. But it's not tried and true in this context, which is, you know, you, you go into a DD and d session, you may have one combat encounter per session, maybe two in a, in a session. Um, and in a video game, you're expecting to have action all the time, right? You're expecting to get into fights every few minutes. And that's very different where you can use up all these resources and you need a long rest before you can use them again. And somehow they they have made that work Um the, the way camping and interacting with your, your fellow uh, party members works is so cool. I mean, there are definitely tendrils from Divinity that are still present here.
1: And literal think... tendrils.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes.
1: We haven't even... So this is the thing. We've talked about this game probably for like far too long right now. But we haven't even touched on how incredible the storytelling is. Because yeah. that's another thing that's going on with this game. is It is so comfortable showing but not feeling like it needs to tell i i i don't think the cleric in the game revealed her deity until quite a few hours in but i saw the holy symbol Mm. in her circlet right away and i was like that is bonkers as somebody who knows forgotten realms lore enough and has it buried in my brain where i'm keeping that versus like my to-do list for the day for some reason i remember <laughs> uh, i remember the holy symbol of forgotten realms deities it was absolutely bonkers to see that and and the game does that sort of thing all the time it's very comfortable only giving you pieces of the narrative and it gives you so much to pull at and explore and leave so many mysteries out there and this is only the first act right i'm Maybe 20 ish hours in, I have a, I'm at like level four right now, working our way towards five. Uh, such a nice pace of level up, too. It's not, it doesn't feel the need to overwhelm you with level ups. It gives you a lot of neat equipment that you can use to kind of modify your character as you go. But uh, I, I just digressed off of story into more of like just some cool game mechanics stuff again, because yeah. it, it does that. But the story, I, I can't emphasize enough like how cool and exciting it is from the jump like it's wild yeah. and bewildering and chaotic i think if you know nothing about dnd and you watch the opening scene you are like what am i getting into?
0: <laughs> yeah it does start like, in a wacky place to be honest but, it's
1: great though because yeah. it's like it's such a bold choice you know you don't you don't see games that are willing to be like i'm not gonna we're not gonna give you any exposition your character's really Have no idea what's up. We're just going to start you with some grade A body horror, and then (laughs) send you into some like shenanigany high level D and D stuff with your level one characters. Like it's so so amazing, and um, I I I'm so excited for how good that team has become at storytelling because the thing that i always my takeaway from divinity original sin one and two was these games are mechanically really interesting and fun i love the co-op experience playing uh with my spouse um we have had a great time with them but the storytelling was never quite there in the way that we wanted it to be like it was very it felt very generic and very Explainy in some ways, and Baldur's Gate three is for something that's so plotty. They're just very good at not bombarding you with exposition and lore, and just kind of letting you discover the world organically. If you've played the original games, there are a lot of fun little nods. If you've played D anD D, there's fun little nods, but you don't need those things. And in fact, sometimes not knowing those things it's going to preserve surprises for you.
0: Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's doing so many things so well. I haven't even gotten to the meat of meat of the story, but it it tells wonderful short stories uh, in in individual quests and individual, you know, um, places in the world have their own little short story going on. Um, I love that so much of the items that you get, are just there to change the look of your character. You know, uh, yeah. the, the, it, it, it's an amazing thing. Dungeons and Dragons is not like a video game. You don't get a new sword every fight. You're not looting weapons and tabletop role-playing games like you loot weapons in video games. That's just not how it works. You, you're If you get a plus one sword, that is an amazing thing, right? Whereas in Diablo, I'm getting, you know, plus 480, whatever. And every (laughs) four seconds, I'm getting a new one, you know? Uh, And the fact that they made that all work and feel satisfying. And that, you know, the the mechanic of having to have supplies when you long rest. And so there's, you want to pick up those kinds of things. You want to buy those kinds of things. The way haggling and bartering works, which feels more like a tabletop role-playing experience it's there's so much in it there's so much richness of world of location there's so many hidden things there's always multiple ways into a place or out of a place multiple ways to um discover the secrets of a spot it is and it's gorgeous gorgeous um i'm it supports super ultra wide i'm loving it in that uh, aspect ratio, ratio 32 9 um it's it's utterly beautiful i mean i i just i it's the game I, I i grew up with my favorite game being ultima 7 yeah isometric very dense turn-based role-playing world
1: that is one of is my what, favorites of all time as well so i yeah i 100 percent see and it this as, is
0: this is the expression of you know larian's been making that kind of game with modern technology for the last few iterations and they are so good at it and and, and just the way that they they absorbed the 5e-ness of this and this really does feel like playing a a tabletop game in in so many ways it's amazing all right christian i'm sorry we we really
1: we we recorded like a bonus episode in the middle of this episode that's just like and the weird Baldur.
0: part is that Rich and I could probably talk for two more hours about it and not feel like we said enough about what we thought. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but what have you been, what's on your playlist, Christian? Can you tell me one thing that you've been playing? Well, we'll go back to Rich in a, in a moment.
2: Baldur's Gate 3. No, I'm just kidding. Um... <laughs> My two-word review. Great. Uh, Baldur's Great. <laughs> Baldur's Great. <laughs> done um the game i want to talk about Thank you is... AI
0: headline writer
2: <laughs> <laughs> i was typing frantically to get my balder's gate the thing about this gate is it's baldering <laughs> no it doesn't work um the game i want to talk about is the expanse a telltale series i was provided code um for this game People that are, go way back with us, Jeff, might well remember that The Walking Dead Telltale game was my favorite game of the year, the year it came out, whenever that was. Uh, in Diggity Diggity 3,
0: whatever year that was. <laughs>
2: yeah. Probably back in the 1900s. No, not that long ago. Um, but it, And I've played a lot of Telltale games over the years, Minecraft and Batman. I'm trying to, I probably have dabbled in most of them, and I really started to feel the formula come through and they started to lose their luster i think as they pivoted from sam and max kind of style game into the walking dead that first walking dead season was a revelation they did episodic gaming in a real way and the choices felt like they mattered even if ultimately they didn't you know you're kind of funneled into one ending but didn't make that moment to moment decision any less excruciating. And then I started to see what all the games were like. And you'd have the stilted conversations. I think Batman is when I complained about it the most. And it's like, Selena Kyle walks by and says, I see you, Bruce. Cut to Bruce. Bruce looks to Selena. Bruce replies. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, no one talks at this pace. I can't handle it. Um, And then telltale went away. They, they, they went away and they have risen from the ashes um, as a somewhat different team, but are carrying on that gameplay legacy in a way that adding a Telltale series to the Expanse or to the games they're making now says something. It's letting you, the player, know what type of game you're getting into. They are not reinventing themselves. This is not Telltale as a brand is back and now we make isometric God of War 2 likes, you know, <laughs> or something like that. It is still very much these choice driven narrative heavy experiences so i say all that to build up my credentials for my telltale experience and knowledge and this is where i have to raise my you know little uh flag of shame the expanse is a sci-fi series that is a huge
0: space sized gaping hole <laughs>
2: in my my, my sci-fi yeah.
0: repertoire yeah, uh, I feel books. like you're not exactly the target audience if you're not a, already a fan of it, The Expanse.
2: Well, that's the main reason I was really excited to, to play this. And so I haven't watched the show. I haven't read the books. Of course, I'm aware of it. You know, I, I in this space in which I occupy, I can't not be aware of it, it feels like. But for whatever reason, it's never pulled me in. And so I was really curious what a Telltale game would be like, modern or otherwise, without having that brand affinity because for so long so many of them preyed on that i mean a minecraft telltale game no one was like oh what heart-wrenching decisions are you going to make in the minecraft narrative universe that's said, i but think you, you look- could
0: en- i think you could enjoy that first uh wa- walking dead game if you had no idea what the walking dead was
2: Yes, we were at early zombies, but I think yeah. since then it kind of it was definitely Batman, it was Guardians of the Galaxy. It was right. using these uh, even the later Walking Dead games kind of kept using some of the characters from earlier games and really building this IP. So I was excited to go into a Telltale game, modern or otherwise, uh IP ignorant. And I think I want to read the books cuz I really like this story. I've read the this is just the first episode. Um, you buy it once and you get all the episodes. It's just one way that this telltale has changed. It's not, you can just buy episode one and then you don't get episode two. And then you're like, oh crap, when did episode two come out and now episodes three out, you buy the game, but they deliver them as episodic still. And this I've read is a prequel to the other media that exists about it, but could be a sequel for all I know. I just, believe, <laughs> <laughs> I believe the the materials telling me it's a prequel. Um, and so what I will say about this game as a the modern reinvention of a Telltale game, it looks better than any Telltale game that I remember. The Walking Dead definitely had that very inky art style presentation that kind of played into its comic book roots. And then I started to feel long in the tooth as more games did it. This looks, you know, it doesn't look like God of War or Horizon, but it, it looks really good. It definitely looks better than those old games ever look so it feels modern and cool and new and maybe it's just the narrative that this game is telling um so what i understand of the expanse (laughs) you know we're in space and bad
1: stuff in this game that is that is 100 accurate to the books Uh, let let me tell you a little bit about Baldur's gate (laughs) um
2: And so you're in space and in this story being very vague because this game is the story uh, you're going to investigate this other ship. Bad things have clearly happened to this ship. Uh, Whoopsie daisy. Here we go. See alien, see dead space, see event horizon, see, things that happen in space.
0: (laughs) Are you playing Um, as the characters from the book or new characters in that universe? Or do you even know? So I I I I can actually answer this one.
1: I have not played this yet, but I've been, this is one I had my eyes on. And the only reason I haven't played it is because I knew Baldur's Gate was going to come and steal my gaming time. Uh, But it is a character from, uh, from the show and from the book though, the the approach of this character in the book is different than what the show ends up doing because the show the show had this character, Drummer, um, who who is in the book, but is also in the show, an amalgamation of a bunch of different characters because that's sort of how the book functions. By the way, The Expanse, both the books and the show, great, good stuff, it, worth checking out. Both of them separately, like they exist on their own merits, uh, separate from each other, are both really solid. But Kara uh, G, who plays Drummer is in the game is my understanding and who is the, the that's main character you're playing and she's a phenomenal character in the show in the book like it's a really fun interesting character so there you go great Ooh. great in the game as well and I, I know i'm kind of joking around a little bit
2: as I'm talking about it but this has all been a very intentional approach for me like i wanted to go into this game as someone who didn't know all this stuff and oftentimes you get uh associated materials when you get press copies or review copies of a game they can kind of hint to things that are outlined but i wanted to go into this as someone who does not un- know this ip and play this as a game telling a story and see how it hits and man they have found a way to do what those old telltale games did so well and make the big event decisions f- feel like there's no right way to make the decision. You know, sometimes you get the so-and-so rich remembers that Jeff will remember that. And you get those moments and it's fun to see them come back and play, but there are just in the setting of the game of bad stuff has happened. Bad things are going to happen this. This episode starts with something bad happening right at the beginning. And then you flashback and you kind of see what leads up to that bad event, which I think is a, a interesting way to tell a story in terms of, well, all roads lead to Rome uh, in some form or fashion, like this thing happens, this thing happens. And now you get to see the decisions that I guess lead to that. And a lot of times they don't feel good, but there isn't a good option. You know, it's uh, one dumb example that'll i still be vague about is like, lose this very valuable stuff or cut off this guy's foot. And you're like, Oh man, <laughs> none of those are going to go well either way. Cause Someone's going to remember what I did, but you, you have this choice. So th- the expanse feels like, you know, it's, it's a polar opposite of Boulder Skate three in terms of it is very focused, rich. You could get through it, you know, episode one in like a lunch break from your career as Boulder gate, boulders gate three, but also <laughs> in the same vein in terms of very interesting decision-making. And so it's very different than tabletop gaming where you can literally do anything, and how that leads to awesome and interesting things, but also similar in the way that it gives you only very interesting choices to make. So there's none of the time of, in other video games, of me as Lara Croft running over to this rock and jumping up, can't grab onto that rock over here, can't jump onto that rock. You always know what you're doing. And there's some light environmental puzzling, but it's not, can I open this door? Can I not open this door? What am I supposed to be doing right now? It is telling you what to do at all times, and then making these decisions have weight and have meaning. Another thing I I was going to say, and then I got distracted about it being a game in space, I don't know if it's just the setting, so you're on comms, or if this new telltale reincarnation has kind of fixed the pacing of the dialogue that used to bother me, but it doesn't seem as stilted. And so a lot of that is, I think it's because comms, and I'm over here in this other part of the ship, and something else is over here happening, and then you hear crackling of static, but the flow of conversation feels really good and really natural. And uh, I'm in, which is what I was really curious about. Like, what would it feel like to play Guardians of the Galaxy, a telltale game if you don't know who Rocket Raccoon is? And here I am getting really invested in Drummer, not knowing who this character is and not knowing anything about The Expanse other than I should have already known
1: about The Expanse because it's very popular (laughs) well done. Is it something, so I'm curious, so you're going to be waiting for the other episodes to come out. Are you going to dig into the source material before then, or are you going to wait until after? Are you going to chop the guy's foot off, or are you (laughs) going (laughs) to...
2: Well, I'm going to have a uh, sex with the bear.
1: I should say that. Um, it's weird that you can do
0: that in
2: this game also.
0: Um, I, my understanding no. is every game that comes out for the rest of 2023 <laughs> will have that feature, <laughs> which is going to be weird for Mario wonder, but.
2: <laughs> I wonder how weird it will be. Um, I'm going to wait, Rich. I, I'm going to wait because I think the, the world that this game exists in does feel like it it is connected to those other worlds in a way. And with this taking place beforehand, um, I kind of want to get through this experience before learning something about another version of drummer that might change my opinion of them at this point in the game, because it, 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 so far has really been, you know, metering out its story in a really interesting and compelling way where there are times where, you know, whether you're playing as you or role playing the character, it's, am I bad? Should I role play bad? Am I good? Like, what am I, what am I trying to do here? Like what, if I'm trying to mid max these decisions, what am I trying to do? And I, I love that this new telltale has found a way to capture that of making every decision feel gray. Um, so I'm going to wait until I get through this and find out how terrible of a person I am at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I'll see the other versions of the character.
0: That's the ending. just. You were very terrible at the end, just like that. <laughs> you have kids, you shouldn't. You know, it just... <laughs> the authorities have been alerted. Um, yeah, how dare you? So that's the expanse of Telltale series. Uh, Rich, what else has been on your playlist?
1: So last time I was on the show, I recommended a game called Neurocracy 2049, um, which is a murder mystery that is set in wikipedia essentially in a wikipedia in the year 2049 tremendous game i um i believe it might have been my game of the year in 2021 uh when that happened well if you missed it the first time they're doing a whole new kind of uh repolish reboot of it called neurocracy 2.049 And I have some codes for it, which I will pop into the DLC Discord at some point if people want it. But it's also free. It's on itch.io. You can get uh, the codes I'll have for that. But it's also free. You can just go to omnipedia.app. The game pretty much starts right from the privacy, like right from the... uh, Hey, do you want to delete the cookies on your browser? Question: You'll be in the world right away because it'll be telling you about. Uh, well, I'll I'll, le- I'll let you discover it because it's it's really fascinating. But it's it's a game that it's just reading Wikipedia articles and going down Wikipedia rabbit holes. Um, I did talk about it last time I was here. The new version comes with a a forum where you can kind of discuss theories with people and has this more social element to it. There's also some additional content that's all been really fantastic. It's a really thoughtful work that reflects upon the moment that we're in right now and does near future sci-fi storytelling in a novel and interesting fashion. And you can just pull out your phone and play it right now. So what have you got to lose? Um That is Neurocracy 2.049. I love that that game. It's a great team of writers and well worth checking out. Awesome! Yes, I'm finally gonna. I'm gonna
0: have to do this. And unfortunately, there's this giant role playing game that I've been playing, but I I really want to play that. I, I think last time I well, was there's like, no oh, other try big
2: that. games coming. There's just
0: well, luckily games. there's no other big role playing games right in the next few weeks. You're yeah. Done. <laughs> Uh, anyway, <laughs> oh, okay, so we got to. I, I still want to get to tabletop time. So uh, I got to move through the rest of my we playlist. We did
2: that. It was called Baldur's Gate Did you not know hear how silent I was? Oh, that was clearly Ridge, tabletop time. Has we just really it. good tabletop <laughs> stuff. I'm to kidding. Talk about. I'm kidding. Um, I'm kidding.
0: So I feel like now that I've done this a few weeks, I got to stick with my, uh, you know, Jeff's indie pick of the week, and uh, which usually means Jeff's roguelite of the week. Um, because that's the indie games that I tend to like, and there's certainly a lot of them. And I have to credit my friend Darren, uh, who is the person who originally emailed into the show to tell me about Aces and Adventures, which I talked about at the beginning of the year, is still one of my favorite games of the year. Phenomenal roguelite that basically took poker hands and turned them into a fantasy role-playing not role-playing, excuse me, fantasy roguelite experience. And it's just a great game. I highly recommend Aces and Adventures. I think it'll show up at the end of the year on on one of my lists as well. Um, But, so Darren is back. He's like, hey, I hit it out of the park with Aces and Adventures, uh, recommending that to you. I got another one for you. So now, you know what? Darren's got my ear. Because you know what? Uh, What's the opposite of fool me
1: once? Uh, Succeed with me once. Give me a delightful snack once. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Shame on nobody. Shame on me for not listening
0: to you forever. That's what it would be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, so Darren's uh, second recommendation is a game called Let's Revolution, which is a uh, charming little roguelite where Aces and Adventures is what if poker was a roguelite? Let's Revolution is what if Minesweeper was a roguelite? Which is a very interesting concept. I think we've all, uh, of a certain age, played uh, Minesweeper once or twice uh, as it shipped with Windows 95, you know? Uh, It was the
1: original copy protection for most games. You just had to, you got the little spinning wheel out and you had to do the code. Then you had to clear a minefield board and uh, that's how you got (laughs) to play games back in the day.
0: Right. So if there's anybody who's not familiar with Minesweeper, Minesweeper is a grid And there are mines in the grid. If you hit a mine, game over, not good for you. Or a number of mines, whatever it is. You don't want to hit the mines. And each grid that you click on will have a number on it. If it's a safe square for you to to move into, it'll have a number on it that tells you how many of the adjacent squares around it have mines in them, have little bombs. So you can deduce based on the relationship of all these little numbers to each other, where the mines actually are. And it's about stepping through that and trying to open up parts of the grid without stepping on any mines, because you can figure it out using deductive reasoning by saying, hey, if there are three mines near this square and two mines near that square, then that must be where one of the mines is. That kind of thing. So that's how Let's Revolution works. It's wrapped in a narrative. So you are a adventurer type. There are different classes that you can open up along the way that have different special abilities. And basically what you're trying to do is kill the bad guys on the grid that are hidden at the start without stepping on any of them. You have hit points, very few, and it varies depending on what class you play. Um, But if you step on one of the bad guys, they will uh take one of your hit points away and there's very few hit points so it's it's you know your you, hit points are precious and you don't, and it's a uh a resource that you don't really have very many opportunities to replenish so it, like a true roguelike, you're going in with your hit points and you gotta do everything you can not to lose any of them uh, also the bad guys will attack you from a distance if you have revealed them and uh, they have a counter for how many moves of yours it will take before they proc an attack against you, which will always hit. So you want to dispatch them before they hit you. Um, and so you're trying to figure out where they are based on the numbers of the squares that you're standing on. Uh, so you can deduce where they are so that you can start attacking those squares before you even reveal them. That's the best possible way to do it is, ah, I know there's a bad guy there. I'm going to use one of my attacks, attack that square. ha Revealed. You were right. He was hiding there, and you just destroyed him. So that's the game, and you're uh, ostensibly looking for the king who has wronged you, who is hiding in the grid at some in some place.
1: I love an anti-royalist
0: game. Go on. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. But... Before you can, before you can find the king, you have to dispatch all his guards. So basically, you're opening up areas around the grid uh, to try to find the bad guys, and try to deduce where they are, to try to attack them before they attack you. And you can also find things like, you know, uh, shops to buy certain items or uh, upgrade your abilities and, you know, the stuff that you find in regular roguelites except you're doing it in basically a minesweeper-like thing. And you have different kinds of attacks. You'll have it attacks that go to a distance, attacks right around you. You can level up those attacks. You get new attacks. Um, it's a pretty clever game. It's it's cute. It's fun. It's great for Steam Deck. It doesn't. I think. I think to its credit, it masks its Minesweeperness enough that it doesn't feel like I'm just playing Minesweeper. It's got enough other stuff going on with it: attacks and leveling and all that cool stuff. The rpg rpg layer that it puts on that really makes it feel like something much more than just playing minesweeper which i think to most people sounds not very interesting uh, including me um but it like uses the minesweeper stuff and has enough other stuff going on that i think this is a really cool game it's called let's revolution and i recommend it i don't think it is the absolute home run that aces and adventures was but certainly a game that i'm glad i checked out and I think other people might get a lot of joy out of. It's called Let's Revolution. All right. Let's revolution our way into a little bit of tabletop. It's Gen Con right now, so we got to do tabletop. Gen Con was last weekend, uh, the biggest uh, board game convention in the country. So we got to do a little tabletop time. Tabletop time, now right now all right rich uh you have been playing a fascinating game uh by my uh, account uh a
1: solo vampire experience where it's about journaling is that correct <laughs> yeah so uh thousand year old vampire has been around for a little a little while tim hutchins i believe is the name of the of the designer of this game and i am here to tell you that even if you don't play tabletop role-playing games or aren't interested in journaling generally this is something you should get a physical version of because for starters it is beautiful the book that thousand-year-old vampire comes in is a gorgeous book the game itself is also quite unlike anything i've ever played before in terms of how it approaches what it means to be a vampire and what it asks of you as a player. so what essentially happens is this is a story of 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 it's the you are the titular thousand year old vampire, and you are telling your story uh, and you're kind of writing it down in a journal um because you can only hold five memories at a time. And like a memory can be a series of like connected or complicated things, but you only get five and whatever you don't remember, you can write down into a physical journal and your vampire can hold on to that. So they have that story. But as time passes through the game, something that happens is the character that you create, the circumstances that they're in, not only radically change, but eventually become entirely forgotten. And you are watching these events and people sift through, like move through your life. Things that are enormously important at one point in the game are, are gone and forgotten later on. And it's such a powerful emotional experience as a result of that happening. It it really, I think captures what the, 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 the 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 that fantasy of like being somebody who is living for a thousand years like what what would happen to you and what how your memories would work and and how you would feel about that is is a really neat and interesting thing and so okay so you're you're probably hearing this and wondering well what are you doing in the game how do you play it, it because you are playing by yourself
0: right this is a solo only experience right
1: it's solo only and. That's going to sound, that might sound odd to people. You might be reticent to do that, but there's, it's such a gift to you because what this game does is it says, Hey, you have permission to do something that is entirely for you. That is playing entirely with your imagination, your own sense of storytelling. Nobody is going to judge this thing that you are making except for you if you want, but you, you shouldn't have to judge it. Like, have fun with it. Think of the most outrageous, horrible thing you can, like that this vampire can get up to. You're, you can push boundaries. You can have real dialogues with yourself about like what's interesting or what would be fascinating or what would just be plain old messed up. And it's a really guided experience because you're, you're, you're getting all these prompts in a book. You're basically rolling some dice that are going to indicate a prompt that you get and the prompts are just beautifully constructed in Thousand-Year-Old Vampire. It's just enough information to give you something to work with without being prescriptive about how, how you do it and how you solve for it in in the game itself. Um, I I think collectively, as a species, we're all currently dealing with trauma where we're deeply traumatized on a number of fronts. And we even jokingly kind of alluded to some of the fronts in way back, way back years ago when we did a uh, story of the week, uh, which was probably you know, <laughs> a thousand years ago when we did story of the week, we, you know, we joked about how bleak things are. We're all holding that internally. while also figuring out how to move forward. We've just been through a global pandemic that we're still in that's still happening right now people you know are testing positive for the thing it's still happening uh sorry to to point it out to you uh but we're dealing with this stuff we all have this these unspeaking, un like we all have this trauma right and yeah there is something about using your brain creatively that is that that is a way that can release some of that or exercise some of that or even give you an opportunity to just where does your mind go when you don't have the pressures of having to share a thing with anybody. You don't have anybody else at the table that you need to impress. You don't need to play the game right. Or there's no wrong way to do this. You're, you're just with yourself using this incredible framework that this game has done to tell a story that's interesting to you that gives you something that is entirely a gift for you. I I can't stress enough how much of a gift thousand year old vampire is to you. And then on top of it being a gift to you as a game, even if you're, this is not the type of thing you normally do try it once that, 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 that is my, my, my doctor Lovejoy prescription for you. Just try (laughs) something like this once you won't regret it. Even if, even if it doesn't end up being for you, because I, I, Everybody I know who has, who has tried this has been flummoxed by the experience in a really positive way, like really surprised, moved by it, brought to tears. Like people have told me that there's some real powerful things that happen as soon as you get past all these things in your mind that are like, I don't want to sit around and journal. Is that what I'm being asked to do? No, it's, it's, it's a real game. And the game aspect of it is unlike anything else. And if games are something you're interested in, I think you you owe it to yourself. It's a kindness. And then even if you don't like it, it's a beautiful book. It, like, put it on yeah. your table. It's not expensive. You'll be helping somebody who's clearly, like, a fascinating creator who has a lot of tremendous ideas. And, yeah, go on. So,
0: I just – quick questions about this. Is this a, an experience that you sit down and play through in a sitting? Or are you playing it over the course of days and weeks and – How's that it's work? What,
1: whatever you want. I've done, I've done like a whole thing in, in a sitting and, and had it go pretty quickly. And then I've had a longer term. Like I, one of the things that I recommend doing with this game is doing a prompt or two, maybe at a lunch break, if you're working from home, take yourself out of your life for a second, sit with yourself, do something that's just for you. That is using your creativity. It changes my day when I do. Wow. That. I, 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 it, sa- it sounds like unusual, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's worth trying. I would say if this sounds, if you have, if you are even a smidge curious, give thousand year old vampire a try. That's, that's what I'm going to recommend.
0: Cause uh, it's thousand year is where you can find it. Uh, it looks like uh, it's 4750 for the, for the physical book and the PDF. Um, this is extraordinary. I saw the, the stand, uh, the shut up and sit down guys talking about this, raving about it as well.
1: Um yeah it's 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 amazing. Uh I, I I if you if you're not sold by me go listen to them and let them sell you on it. Somebody somebody's got to sell you on it cuz I think you'll all all of you listening to this will get something out of it. And amazing. you can just get the PDF if money is more of an issue and and I know it, which it is for a lot of people. The PDF is available. Um it's some that's another option. It's way less expensive. I think it was like 10 or 15 for the PDF. I don't have it in front of me right now, um, so you can go that route if you want to. It's just the physical object itself is really something else i it's It's funny
0: because I celebrate the single player video game like a Boulder's Gate that I'll spend hours just by myself interacting with, and yet I'm sort of disinclined to attempt something like this because oh, it's just a single player thing, but uh, hearing you speak so passionately about it i'm i i'm gonna check this out thousand year old vampire amazing um you also uh, i see here uh finished uh a campaign of betrayal legacy which i w- played through also not not terribly long ago uh what did you think of uh betrayal legacy as a as a you know 11 or 12 session experience
1: it's incredible and if you have friends that you can play it with uh get a full crew of five and just do it especially if you're even remotely interested in horror uh Rob Davio's Betrayal Legacy is it's um it is the master class I think of these Legacy games right now it's the uh my experience with it was very funny because we had a group and we were going along really strong and and then one person in our group had to move to France oh, wow. <laughs> for various reasons, which is great for them uh, and good for their life. But it uh, made it hard to get those last two sessions in. But they have finally happened. We started, I think, the year the game was released. And have oh, finished. wow. Yeah, <laughs> like 2018 or something like that. Yeah, we started uh, and we were pretty far along uh despite everybody having kind of busy adult lives the group is a mix of people who played board games and who do not play board games cuz it's it's simple enough to be approachable for people who aren't who wouldn't necessarily consider themselves gamers and it just has such cool and neat storytelling and then at the end of it you have a copy of uh of betrayal which you can play whenever you want the story is done but you have a bespoke haunted house that you can play, you can just play it like a regular betrayal afterwards, and you know walk into a room and you'll see a little ghost sticker in the tile, and you'll be like, oh yeah, that's where that's where I murdered my 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 spouse with uh, some creepy dolls, and <laughs> yeah, yeah I remember that. I remember that ghost. Oh, and here's where here's where uh, here's where I got uh, <laughs> eaten by an alien <laughs> right over right, here, right. or whatever the case. Yeah, it, may it be.
0: sort of does each of the big main horror tropes over the course of it in, in a very smart, uh, self-aware way. Um, I think the first adventure is incredible. Like if you're just curious about it, play the first one with your, with a group and it's so smart as how, at how it anticipates,
1: It's, it's amazing, anticipates
0: how you are going to behave. It's just unbelievable. Um, but i my only criticism i mean i also loved the experience of playing betrayal legacy but my only criticism is i think it peaks before the end i think it crescendos i don't know what your experience was but i thought the final uh final you know session or two were not the best of the game i thought the, the game peaks you know a few sessions before that and i kept waiting for it to like outdo itself cuz it continually outdoes itself And then at a certain point, I felt like, oh, it stopped out doing itself, and it kind of had already peaked. But maybe
1: I think I had a slightly different experience, but probably that might have been due to the fact that those last two sessions happened so far removed from (laughs) the (laughs) other other campaign. Yeah, Uh, yeah, so that we didn't, you you know, I I didn't. It felt like it was a different kind of experience coming back into it, and we were all so happy to be doing it. I think that that may have done some of the heavy lifting for me. So who's to say? But I definitely remember those. The, that build up to the final couple being truly a, a high point of the game. And there's also just the, like different haunts too. Like we probably had a completely different game based on where that's starts, yeah. And we like, we probably have different favorite haunts. Uh, there's a
0: lot of uh, tearing up of cards that I never got to see. So, you know, yeah. that's, that's kind of a, a, a legacy uh, staple is the, you know, the game changes based on how what how it plays out and you will be destroying parts of it that you never even interacted with just because that's the way your game went. Um, very cool. Um, all right, well, you have a, a, another tabletop uh, experience you want to bring up?
1: Yeah, I've got one more and that is a game called Block by Block, which is going to be a terrific game if you're into... Uh, pandemic it actually has very similar mechanics to pandemic in some ways which which i'll get into why but it's basically a game about taking a city block by block through revolution during a huge protest outbreak and there are different factions it's a cooperative game and somebody is playing like the college students somebody's playing the prisoners somebody's playing the workers and somebody's playing just sort of like the 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 standard civilians and and people like the families I think is what they're called and people have different powers based on their faction like the 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 enemy in this game is the police the police are trying to break the protest down and, and prevent you from achieving your goals um and they they kind of act the way that disease does in pandemic you'll have these little police cubes that will appear on the map and you kind of have to deal with them when they appear but then the the, it, the game is very smart block by block is very smart with how the factions can function and what they can do like for example the college students if they're walking like by themselves could just go right past the police police won't bother the college students uh unless there's a large group of them and then and then then they'll get uh, uh they'll, they'll get a little bit upset uh, so yeah it's a i think a really interesting and fascinating game for this moment on Gamers with Jobs, I found about found out about this game through uh, one of our our frequent guests at uh, Gamers with Jobs, Beto O'Burn, who who led us in a, a really fascinating episode where we talked about games of revolution and games has they can relate to revolutionary practice and spread more revolutionary ideas that kind of make you question the the systems that you're you're in or or, or kind of talk about what it takes to go through with things. Um, Block by Block has some really fascinating mechanics in terms of it gives you a goal that could, based on the it's randomized, be very hard to achieve. But if you can take a turn and get everybody to have like a meeting, you can get a different goal that comes on the board and then you can win by achieving either goal. Mm. Um, It's a really interesting game that does a lot of fun stuff mechan- fun stuff mechanically the board gets laid out in a random way and there are different different ways that the roads and the and different location for different types of buildings and and how you use those streets how you barricade those streets how you uh is like vitally important to how you take them over so it's it's got this really neat like kind of like almost not not quite crunchy, but like has that like enough strategic fascinating situations in it. It's got a really neat theme um, and I you know I just personally love the idea of thinking about the police as as the uh, uh, disease <laughs> the same way that <laughs> pandemic does um, especially in this particular moment in time as we're thinking about these institutions on a on a broader level, I think it's it's worth checking out. Um, it's a really fun, really well-designed game.
0: That's Block by Block, uh, Betrayal Legacy, and Thousand-Year-Old Vampire. And those are on uh, on Rich's table. Uh, I've been playing a bunch of board games lately as well, but uh, instead of talking about them, I want to actually devote my time here, uh, as we're getting pretty long, uh, to Mike, who sent in an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. I mentioned that this is the week of Gen Con, which is uh, America's biggest board gaming convention. Uh, someplace, I've, I've never gone to Gen Con. I've always wanted to. It's in Indianapolis, uh, and it always, it's always right around my birthday, so it's hard to get there. But luckily, we got Mike, who's boots on the ground at Gen Con, who wrote in and said, hey, fellas, I just got back from Gen Con 2023 and wanted to share some quick thoughts On the con, for those that don't know, Gen Con is one of the biggest tabletop conventions in the world, filled with publishers showing off their games and tens of thousands of people showing up to play games together. Most games I went in expecting to enjoy ended up being a bit of a letdown, but I'd like to share three games that took me by surprise. First up, Mindbug, co-designed by Richard Garfield, Mr. Magic the Gathering himself, Mindbug is a fast-paced two-player card game based on the secretary problem in mathematics. Each player has a deck, of ten, a deck of 10 cards, and you take turns playing cards and attacking with them until a player is out of health. The trick is that each player has two Mind Bug cards that let you steal the card your opponent just played and play it as their own. The cards are super overpowered and awesome, and so is the game. Next up, Spellber, Spellbook, which perfectly fits the less than an hour but lots of interesting choices to make category. You collect mana and use it to learn new spells and strengthen your familiars. The game has a really nice combo feel where you can chain your actions together to do cool stuff. If you like games like Splendor, I do, I very much do, and are looking for something just a little more complex, this is a perfect fit. Spellbook. third path of civilization an incredible civilization light game that plays in under two hours you have five technologies that allow you to place workers and gather resources the catch is that you only play four each round the fifth is permanently discarded and must be replaced with a new technology combine that with needing to decide between assigning the technologies to either placing workers or gathering resources along with simultaneous play yes that's right you have one of the most innovative and engaging Civ-style games I've played. Easily the highlight of the show. Uh, so, and he said, thanks for all you do. Mike, that's awesome. I I, I am so much, so much, uh, so jealous of of you going to Gen Con and have been wanting to play Mind Bug. That sounds awesome. I love Richard Garfield. And his designs are awesome. Uh, but I did not know of Path of Civilization, so that is going to be on my radar uh christian the uh the big um the big gen con game this year where people are standing in line for 16 hours to get a chance to purchase because it came out only at gen con so far is uh disney's Lorcana. have you heard of this
2: i have heard (laughs) of it um 16 hours is a long time though because it's uh it's going
0: wide it's not they, not going right. They literally had to. Yeah, it's not not going right. That's absolutely right. But these people are going to get it first. You see, first, um, they literally had to re, <laughs> redesign the line structure at Gen Con to accommodate all the people standing in line for D- Disney's Lorcanna. Uh, it's basically a TTG, a trading card game, um, like you know, like Magic the Gathering or Pokemon or whatever, but with Disney characters and art and it is uh it is all the rage. So I'm curious if you are interested in that with your with your girls, your family who are, you know, Disney uh fans.
2: Yeah, we're interested in it. Definitely not 16 hours. I, I do wonder <laughs> as I saw some of these reports how much of these people are speculators. Oh, um, I'm sure a large for, portion of them. Yeah. Yeah, OG series 1 Pokemon card that, you know, Jake Paul's kid will have around their neck 20 years from now as they yeah. become uh into the end of the ring or whatever. Um, I think it's fascinating, and I kind of think that it's. I'm I'm a little shocked that it's taken this long. There have been Disney CCGs of some form or fashion over the years, but none that I can remember that seem to have legs or built for legs. And Magic has become has been a behemoth for forever, and Pokemon has been a behemoth for forever. It, it seems something seems right like a no-brainer Disney
0: official- yes
2: yes <laughs> yeah. yes, yes.
0: Yeah. and clearly it was because they're like they can't you can't give it you know keep these things i'm curious
2: I, I haven't looked have you looked into the rule set or how it plays differently that's the stuff i've I'm seen a number
1: exactly like the vampire the masquerade card game from the 90s that came out shortly after magic the gathering except they just put mickey mouse on all the vampire <laughs> faces that's how it plays <laughs> they're
0: <laughs> the hidden tracks.
1: mickeys they're actually just vampires
0: he um, instead of sucking hidden. your blood he just goes right to your wallet (laughs) (laughs) uh anyway that's the big that's the big news from gen con is like everybody wants Lorcana everybody wants Lorcana but um thank you mike for sending in that report from gen con we appreciate it all right we are super long but we're definitely going to give you what we came for and that's a parting gift but first i want to thank rich lovejoy for being here uh, always so much fun to talk to you. Thanks for spending time with us. Uh, really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much guys for, for having me in on uh, Baldur's gate week. I really appreciated the chance to indulge. And I hope that if listeners, if you were listening to this, while you started washing your dishes, I hope you're done by now. Cause your hands probably need to, <laughs> they're, they're probably getting pretty pruney. You got
0: prune hands. That's right. Um, tell folks where they can keep up with you and all the cool things that you do online.
1: So I'm a co-host at Gamers with Jobs conference call. Um, So you can find me there. I also do film and TV stuff, but I'm on strike currently. But I have some... uh, If you go to Vimeo, you can find a short film I did called Push Up. Um, It's by Ghost Food (laughs) Productions. Um, So you can find me there. Um, And where else can... Oh, I'm also on all of the various hell sites. My the handle I use is the Harpo Marxist. You can find me on the artist formerly known as Twitter at the Harpo Marxist. I'm also on blue skies at the Harpo Marxist. So look for me there. Very cool. Christian Spice. What about you? What do you got going on this week?
2: Well, the best way is honestly probably to uh, jump into this show's Discord is where I'm doing most of my chatting these days. I I love that community. It's a great group of folks and one that we don't run, which is uh, a testament to the community. I think it is incredible. The folks that got together and organized that and they keep it
0: civil and do a great job moderating it
2: and – making it a fun place to hang out
0: and be. You're absolutely right. And, you know, we need to do a better job of, of telling folks they do a a game of the month every month. And I always forget to bring it up, but we're here at, we are, the first episode of a new month. So there's a game of the month. I'm not sure what it is. I could look really quick, but I they, they vote to decide what the game of the month is. Everybody plays it together and talks about it. It's really awesome. You should be part of it, listener. So, uh, sorry, I question for interrupting you, but I wanted to bring that up.
2: No, it's a great place and it's organized well. A lot of Discord, I think, can be a little chaotic. I know I am biased, but I think uh, ours is great. So that's honestly where you'll kind of see my goings on more than anywhere else. But you can also email me directly and you can find contacts for all that stuff at my website, which is christianspicer.com. Oh, I will say, uh, shameless. Uh, plug but the game uh, i've been writing on Ra Ra boom has an awesome write-up in uh the newest issue of game informer so i think you cool. can read that online or you can find the physical magazine wherever you get physical magazines it's cool to see and uh there's oh yeah this show this very show that you were listening to after nine plus years is like you know what let's have a social media presence uh so you can follow <laughs> this show on threads at DLC Hype Train, which I guess also means we have an Instagram, but I, I don't think there's anything there. But DLC Hype Train on threads, you can jump in. And uh, that also has been a very civil place so far. I'm pretty proud of
0: it. Give us another 10 years and we'll get that Instagram up and running. Long runways. <laughs> we just <should laughs> need long runways.
2: Um, okay, after the Musk Mark fight, then. Uh, yeah. we'll dive into another winner takes winner takes our social media baby That's <laughs> <what we're doing.
0: laughs> uh, you can follow me on those places i'm at jeff canada uh which is spelled two n's and one t i have other shows the film cast talking about movies and tv shows find that wherever you get podcasts alongside we have concerns my comedy science show and the fan controlled show at fan controlled sports and entertainment talking sports and all kinds of other goofiness there Um, also the DLC book club you can find on my YouTube page, um, or the audio version is exclusive to patrons, but the video version on my YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash Kanada Jeff. And, uh, we interviewed uh, Steven Erickson. It was just an amazing pleasure and a privilege to do so. Um, and he's the coolest, the coolest. He's what I want to be when I grow up. He is amazing. Uh, so check it out. Uh, all right. Let's uh, wrap the show up now with our parting gifts.
1: Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a
0: parting gift. This is your parting gift. Rich, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week?
1: I have a tremendous suggestion. On If you have Amazon Prime, Boots Riley has a series on there called I'm a Virgo. And it is incredible. It's quite unlike anything else that I've seen in a while, except for maybe his uh, more, his recent movie, Sorry to Bother You. It definitely has, I think, some similar threads there. But in particular in Ama Virgo, the performance of Carrie Young is uh, just spectacular. Uh, She has two tremendous moments in the series. One at the very end. It's a seven episodes uh series. Each episode is thirty minutes. Uh it's very funny. It's very astute. If you're interested in superheroes and comic books, I think there's there's a really interesting angle that the show takes on all of that 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 is that's quite fascinating. And Boots Riley is just like a fun and And kind of like can be quite quite a bonkers storytelling in the best possible way, in terms of the ideas that he'll present and some of the 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 ways that he will humorously approach things. There's a series within the series called Parking Ticket. There's like a cartoon within it that is also like itself tremendous. Uh, So I'm a Virgo. uh, The performance of Carrie Young and parking ticket the tv show within the tv show of arma virgo massive massive gift give it to yourself
0: awesome that's available on amazon prime streaming christian spicer what about you
1: also stuff to put in
2: your eyeballs uh teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mayhem is the newest tmnt flick out And it's incredible. It is a really imaginative art style that doesn't just rest on the laurels of what's come before. It reimagines what the turtles can be and what they can look like. The voice acting is exquisite, largely by voice actors, something we've talked about on this show here and there numerous times. And Ice Cube. There are some names, but largely... Uh, voice unknowns, I should say, dare I say, teens, and except even for with Maya them, they-
0: Rudolph and Seth Rogan and uh, what's her name anyway? Sorry, but you're right, yeah,
2: Rose Barn, Rose no, Barn yeah. She, she, yeah, I, she I, think, is. She, I yeah. think she does, yeah, I think she does a voice, but
0: but you're right, the Jackie main Chan. characters are and, all and, yeah. and,
2: and Jackie Chan, and um, Jackie Chan but right? yeah, but also the poster and the trailers for this movie aren't that it's not like ice cube in right. You're going to love Seth Rogen as, and I think <laughs> Seth Rogen might say two things. Um, after Jeff trying to sidetrack me, Sorry. I will not, um, <laughs> you it's, it's awesome. I think the animation is great. I think the music, the soundtrack in the, the score in the film is fantastic. I do think the turtles voice actors do a phenomenal job. It definitely feels like it's kind of learned from the spider verse. Um, uh, world of animation and style but it's not style and lack of substance i think it tells a really great story it's a great jumping on point for new turtles fans and it's pg which is great the megan fox movies i think were like a hard pg-13 at times yeah (laughs) like really weird and grotesque and i love that this is a great jumping on point very kid friendly i took the kids to see it in theaters they loved it if you haven't seen it uh, I recommend uh, Turtles, Mew, and Mayhem when you get a chance.
0: I took my six-year-old this morning at nine thirty a.m., and uh, I was glad I did it. I concur with everything you said. It was a, it's a really fun movie. It's a very fun movie, and my my six-year-old loved it. Um, another thing we took the kids to this weekend was the new Cirque du Soleil touring show Kooza, which uh, Cirque du Soleil is pretty much a guaranteed good time. Like I. I can't imagine buying a ticket to Cirque du Soleil and walking out going, well, that was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> unless you really just don't like the Cirque du Soleil thing, but then why were you there? Uh, but if you enjoy a Cirque du Soleil, uh, I think Kuza is a worthy, uh, touring show. It is, uh, amazing just to kind of go to a big top in the parking lot of some place in your town. And, uh, the experience is incredible, magical. It's uh, pretty wild to see the things they're able to do, uh, human beings are able to do. Um, there were moments where my palms were sweaty because I was so worried that something horrible was going to happen to one of those people who were flying above my head. Uh, so it, it's great. It's not cheap, but it's uh, it's very fun. KUZA, uh, the Cirque du Soleil show, uh, I recommend it. All right. We got a listener-suggested parting gift. Sent to us DLC dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This comes from Mitch, who happens to be a part of Aerosol Jesus, which is a, a band, uh, who informed us that uh, Mitch says, hope you've been well. We released a new song, Swim Deep. I know you like the midnight swim, leans more disco, but it's got similarities like big synths uh, and fun vocoders. Vocoders, is that right? I don't know anything about music. Uh, thought you might enjoy it. And Mitch, you were right. Uh, I took a listen to Swim Deep and it's a jam. It's a jam. So check out uh, Swim Deep from Aerosol Jesus. Uh, I listened to it on Spotify. It's where you get music, where music is. You get it. Um, But you can check it out on Spotify. Uh, It's it's a jam. I dig it. Thank you, Mitch, for uh, letting us know that you released a new uh, song. It's beautiful and fun. If you'd like to have your parting gift read on the show, send it to us, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Rich Lovejoy and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star. For all those fun bumpers, our theme song was composed by White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. Thanks to Jesse J. Anderson, who created dlcswag.com, where you can get swag based around the show. And thanks most of all to our patrons who make this show possible, without whom we would not be making these, uh, at patreon.com slash dlcpod. You can be one of them. Uh, Lots of cool tiers with lots of cool bonus content. Our top tier patrons, our hype train patrons, they get their names read out at the end of every episode, which we're going to do right now. Well, hello, kids. It's time for us to thank our hype train patrons. Patrons like Jason Novak, Taylor Wigert, Octavian, let's see you, Christian Bravery, Josh P. Strauss Klein, Michael Stadler, Michael Buck, and Jackson, Travis, and Michael Bardo, Soren Silk, Yik, Albert of the Stuff and Junk Show Podcast, Zachary White, Stu Goss, Nate, Kevin Brazel, Jonathan Spiceman Forever Schlepfer. Jenny, Scott Hughes, Ben, Dan Palmino, and Malcolm King, Mark Gowland, and Jimmy Radcliffe. Jonathan Putney, Mitchell Ness, Will with 1L Harris, Steph Lucksack, Chris Zacharias, Jonathan Talbert, Victor Valenzuela, and Cheesy Bob, Adam Denby, and Hank Patton, and Scooby Diesel, Sasan, Rob Rickman, Riley Knox, Dan Flanagan. Michael S. Relentless Rex, John Sisko, Matt Valdez, and Curtis from Louisville, comedian Aaron Trahan, David Epp, sure you can, Hyperboy66, Brian Jordan, Kevin Ede, Joe DeFrank, Scott Lambert, Stephen T. Seifert, Tyler Buckwild-Broad. Dwayne T. Robinson and Rob Wonder Rob Dominguez. Thanks to all our hype trained patrons for being awesome. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world, make it a better place.